0: Hi, and welcome to Talking With Cancer. I'm Katie, and I'm here to give you an honest, real, and even funny outlook on living with cancer. There is no one way to do cancer, and I've decided to share my story to help and inspire others, as well as raise awareness. At age 43, I was diagnosed with a rare type of thyroid cancer known as hobnail in February 2022, having never had any health issues previously. I was fit and well and took pretty good care of myself, but despite that, I got a diagnosis and I am on a long-term treatment plan. On this podcast, I will be sharing my progress regularly and I often speak to amazing guests who've been impacted by cancer in some way. I really hope you enjoy listening and if you do, then please rate, review, follow and recommend the pod. Hello, listeners. It's lovely to have you as always. And welcome to today's episode of Talking with Cancer, which I've entitled Let's Look at the Why. The reason being, I feel like when it comes to our health, we sort of accept the way things are. I talked about this quite a lot last week, in last week's episode, I should say. We just tend to live with whatever it is we're living with, whatever ailment that might be. And actually, we don't really think that there might be another way. The reason that I love today's guest is because she is interested, genuinely interested in why our bodies work the way they do and what's got us to perhaps a place that we're in. And I think, like, she's just doing amazing work. I really love the work, and I love just the mindset, really, of my guest today. Dr. Nina Fulishevel, she is a precision health and integrative medicine doctor. Her special interest is in precision health and integrative medicine in women's health and integrative cancer care. She's a registered nutritionist therapist, herbalist, TCM, which is... Traditional Chinese medicine practitioner and a yoga teacher. She's an Oxbridge trained medical doctor, scientist, and educator with over a decade's experience in integrative healthcare. She really cares and really wants to help me people live better lives. And she started a clinic called the Synthesis Clinic. The synthesis clinic is a combination where separate ideas come together as one connected and complete whole. Basically, they're a specialist led practice. They do have amazing sort of precision health precision medicine which is interwoven with evidence-based nutrition lifestyle psycho-emotional well-being and complementary therapies founded by dr nina fuller shavel the clinic offers an award-winning personalized approach to women's health and integrative cancer care which champions empowerment with expertise and empathy at its core they're based in hampshire but you know obviously you can do your uh, consultations with them over zoom and they have like a really brilliant array of practitioners they've also recently launched an app called the onkyo app and that's a free app whether it is now available or it's going to be a global i think we talked about that in the chat we did so she's aware that like you know the service that she offers is not affordable to everyone but you know wouldn't it be great if some of these practices will get rolled out on the NHS. And I know that they're also looking at getting covered by private health insurers. So that would also be amazing. I was so excited to get talked to Dr. Nina fuller She is a very busy woman. I booked the chat in with her quite a few months ago. And she's absolutely fascinating and passionate and has amazing array of experience herself. So I'm going to play that interview now and I hope you like it. Listen, I wanted to jump straight in because what I find really interesting about your work and your situation is that you had a personal cancer diagnosis yourself. And so... I'm really interested to hear a bit about that and how that sort of influenced you particularly in your line of work really. So I got diagnosed with grade three
1: so the most aggressive grade HER2 positive breast cancer at the age of 33. It was a bit of a shock diagnosis given the fact that you know as a doctor you might feel a lump in your breast you might go okay it's fibrocystic disease but I better go and check it out. So I went along kind of talked myself out of it if that makes sense of it being cancer then when they said it was cancer I was like oh okay did not expect that one at the time I had a three and a half year old child and I was working as a doctor in the NHS so lifestyle was very very hectic overall and then I went through my own treatment can't say the NHS have been particularly kind to me during treatment I have to say unfortunately don't treat doctors who are unwell Probably as nicely as they treat patients who are well, which is a big deal. But um, I went through six months of chemotherapy. So I did ECT, which is kind of some of the standard treatments for this sort of thing. I also had targeted therapy. So I had HER2 targeted infusions. And then I went and had a mastectomy and reconstruction and then a mini op for nipple reconstruction. So I kind of went through all of that, which took round about a year to really complete. And during that time, it was a really eye-opening experience for me because I've realized just how little there is out there for people with cancer. (sighs) To be honest, I came into medicine having been a scientist first, and then I also have nutrition training. So I already had my eyes wide open by the time I hit medicine, going, why aren't we providing more information to people? You know, I'd be called in the middle of the night and there'd be somebody with a really, really high blood sugar and nobody's really talked to them by the fact that they've just emptied a packet of tucks, right? And that's probably as a type two diabetic. That's probably not the best thing to do at night, particularly when there's less staff around. So some of the basics actually weren't really being done, which was really interesting to me. But when I hit the cancer diagnosis, I realized, I thought, surely this is a time when we really wrap people up with a lot of support, we really give a lot of information about how to eat well, how to move well, how to manage our stress, how to support our sleep. And actually, none of this was really there. Even at wonderful places like the Royal Marsden, which is where I was treated, I know you were treated there as well so you are kind of sitting there going why is there such a vacuum and that's really spurred me on to direct my further practice and to open my own clinic that's really focusing on women's health
0: and integrative cancer care and kind of it all went on from there. So interesting because I think your approach is Absolutely spot on. And until you experience this firsthand, you're right. It is kind of mind boggling how all the different sort of like healthcare professions aren't joined up and how as a patient, you really have to take charge of your own health, which sounds so obvious. Right. And I've heard you talk about the culture in the UK because of the NHS and it's sort of like this life saving practice rather than lifestyle approach to health there's kind of these clashes to do with sort of attitude to health self-advocating of health how the medical teams talk how they incorporate and align and collaborate and I love what you do and I love hearing you talk about what you do because I think it's like a no-brainer and yet it's not happening that much so I think You know, the fact that you went through this experience yourself obviously puts you in an amazing position to really be able to empathize with your patients, doesn't it? And you must face like a lot of challenges along the way with kind of joining all of those dots. What are some of the challenges that you face in your line of work? I guess it's twofold. So kind of when it comes to your patient work, but also when it comes to trying to collaborate more with the wider healthcare system, I suppose. Absolutely. And I think it's all kind of interconnected,
1: isn't it? I think on the professional level, taking it at a macro level, there's a massive lack of awareness and education for healthcare professionals looking at lifestyle medicine, and integrative medicine, full stop. And you hear these random generalizations, there is no evidence for X. And I would go, hold on a second, right? Go to PubMed, which is Google for medical papers, type in the search term. Let's see if there's truly no evidence there. And most of the time people will find there's actually quite a lot of evidence. It might not be all what we call randomized control trials because actually those things are very, very expensive, very difficult to do in areas like nutrition and funding. Where does the funding come from? So to say there is no evidence quite often is a very grand sweeping generalization. People just not aware or don't look. And actually, they aren't aware of the fact there is actually very good evidence for a number of different things. Certain nutrition approaches, looking at movement during treatment should be on everybody's radar. Every single patient should be told to move within their capacity, very well supported, maybe with a physio or cancer exercise specialist or a yoga therapist but somebody needs to support that person to move because there's excellent evidence that not only does it reduce the risk of recurrence of multiple cancers, but also that movement reduces the risk of chemo-related fatigue and cancer-related fatigue, something that we have absolutely nothing in our arsenal for medically, actually. And prevention is the key. But yet, how many people do you know who will get told about movement and exercise and? Earlier on in their treatment. They just don't. And in metastatic cancer or advanced cancers, people who are an ongoing treatment, again, quite often that just gets left out as if it's sort of somewhere far beyond it. But actually there is no contraindication to exercise or movement, even with people with advanced cancer. And actually they should be asked to move. It's really, really important. So one thing is lack of awareness and lack of knowledge of mm. the evidence that is out there and how to access referrals as well. Who do you refer to? where are the reputable providers because it's a bit of a jungle out there for people looking for support and so this is really where organizations like sio society for integrative oncology and bsio which is british society for integrative oncology as kind of partner organizations we really have a massive role to play within that because we really need to educate healthcare professionals all the way through the all three sectors from the nhs to the private care sector to the charity sector about what integrative oncology is and isn't, which is a really, really important distinction, how to really understand the evidence out there, what are the guidelines and recommendations, and then how do you put them into clinical practice? So that's kind of my very quick sum up of the professional challenges side of things. So what are the differences between what it is and what it isn't? (laughs) It's a great chat. I think quite often there's this massive misconception that integrative oncology is alternative. It is not. The definition of integrative oncology is that it's the best of all the conventional treatment and all of the care that comes with that alongside other support. It's a plus. It's not instead of, it's actually plus other support. And that will include nutrition, movement, psychomotional well-being, sleep support, complementary modalities, and all of it should be personalized and evidence-informed. It isn't about throwing kind of the bucket at it and seeing what sticks, actually. It's about looking, okay... What does the person need? What is their treatment? Where are they going in terms of their treatment? What are maybe their biomarkers doing? What are their blood tests doing? What symptoms are they suffering with? What other medications they on? What other diagnoses do they have? Maybe they have hypothyroidism that's really bothering them at the moment because it's not optimized properly. And then you create a proper personalized plan. So it isn't alternative, it isn't about throwing the bucket at it and seeing what sticks, it is a rational integration of the best of all worlds, personalized to the person in front of you and their needs at that moment, and moving with them as their needs change. Because as you know, from your own experience, what you need at different points with different treatments is different, right?
0: Absolutely. And I'll never forget, I was diagnosed at a different hospital to where I'm being treated now. And... I had a lovely CNS there. She was such a nice woman. And I remember saying to her really early on, like, you know, what do you recommend in terms of diet? And she said, just eat and drink whatever you want, Katie. There was this sort of undertone of like, you've got cancer, you know, just like you can't really get much worse than that. And obviously she was very well-meaning and very supportive and very lovely. And I don't think that she was at fault at all. I think it's the culture and the education. We all know... You go to a hospital, what do you see in the cafes, what do they wheel around in the trolleys, sugary snack, all of what you're saying. Obviously, personally, I take all of that on board and you're right, a lot has changed as I've gone along throughout my journey so far and I'm sure it will continue to. But I think what I always say on here and what's really important is getting a really informed advice on what you decide to do. And there seems to be a lot more awareness now about a personalized approach, particularly when it comes to diet, obviously beyond cancer, like, you know, for anyone and everyone. So when it comes to you, like seeing individuals, I guess that's another part of the same question. Yeah, What are your challenges in that space? So I think in
1: terms of the integration of care, that's a big challenge. Now, again, for some people, it's a lot easier. So the number of oncologists I work with really closely and we cross refer. And at that point, it is a much easier process. So I have a clinic coordinator who coordinates with the oncologist secretary. We bounce, you know, results between each other, letters, scan results, any other plans, any queries. Great example was I have a patient who's not local to her oncologist. She's treated in London, but she's actually really close to me at the clinic and she needs an examination. I could bring her into clinic, examine her. That's, you know, within three days send a report to oncology, which means that life is a lot easier for that particular person. So when we have that collaboration, the direct collaboration, which is much more common in countries like the US, where their integrative oncology centers are in their hospitals and are integrated with the conventional care side of things. So when we have that, then the journey is smooth. And actually, everybody knows their roles. Everybody understands our scope of practice. And actually, the patient constantly gets input that's totally aligned. And therefore there is no this dissonance. There's no hiding what you're doing from your oncologist because the oncologist actually knows exactly what's happening, and that's brilliant. And that to me takes all the stress off because I know a lot of us, people who are trying to help themselves, they might, I don't know, say, start a supplement, start a new nutrition plan, and they might go and see their treatment team and they go, oh, no, no, don't do that, do nothing or don't do anything we didn't tell you to do. And I'm like, well, number one, it's really patronizing. I'm sorry, but I'm not a child. I'm not a three-year-old. You don't tell me what to do. Let's have a discussion about the pros and cons of things. But also number two, you actually, have you found out about it? Might it be beneficial? Or are you just giving an automatic no because you don't know? And I think there is a bit of an arrogance in the medical system, whereas if I don't know about, it's not worth knowing. And actually, I'm sorry, but our education is utterly inadequate in terms of nutrition lifestyle. It is changing with uh, NutriTank, for example, really driving lifestyle medicine education for medical students. But if I look through all of my training, Casey, what I would say is in years and years of medicine that I've done, I had two hours of nutrition
0: training. I know, I've heard you say that. Unbelievable. So you tell me then how
1: can I be a good arbiter of nutrition knowledge and evidence if that's all I've got? At minimum, if I know that I don't know enough about it, I should be referring you to someone who does know something about it. But I do think that's a major lack. Obviously, I've actually got other nutrition degrees that I've accumulated along the way, so I know something about it. But I would say the average doctor just does not get taught enough. We should be having all of that as part of training. But quite often, you know, maybe slightly cynically, our education does get driven by this whole algorithm, which I find very difficult. Is you know, symptom A, you know, disease B, drug C, or intervention C. That's it. If it's not within that lovely linear line and you step outside of that, you know, the system sort of breaks for you quite often. So a lot of my patients with really complex needs, maybe they will have multiple other diagnoses apart from their cancer, find that system works really poorly for them because actually people are not talking to each other. So that's the challenge that I then have, which is a good challenge, is to integrate all the multiple inputs, to bring in the GP input and the secondary K input and the specialist input, and actually make an aligned plan for that person so that everybody's pulling in the same direction. And that's sometimes quite often, we become a hub as a clinic for something like that. I think it's a good challenge to have. I love integration because I'm a scientist. I think in systems. I think people are far too complicated to try and put in this algorithmic, protocolized way of doing things. And, you know, things will fall apart ultimately if you have more complex needs. Other challenges, I guess on a personal level challenges, time, because personalised care takes a
0: lot of time. I know. And when I hear you talk about what you do, I'm like, how does she do all of that? Like you do so much in your work, in your field. Well, I often
1: say that you have to change things. I went through my own experience. I see my patients going through really difficult experiences. And from my perspective, I often say to my daughter, who's now nine, said if you encounter something that you don't like, you have two choices. You accept or change. That's it. So you can either choose to accept the situation. You don't have any other choice. That is it. You can rant and rail against it, but it doesn't actually do anybody any good. So if outside of your locus of control and you can't control it, acceptance is the word, right? But if you can change it in some small way, you can contribute to change, then that's what you should be doing. So from my perspective, that's the choice I went for. I was like, okay, right. I don't like this. This needs to change. So let's go for it. So I'm very lucky. I have an amazing clinic team. I have wonderful colleagues at BSIO. We have so many colleagues who are really, really helping this agenda go forward and helping lift both patients and healthcare professionals up because I do think this model of care helps everybody because it increases that satisfaction from the healthcare end because you actually have more options to offer people. Instead of saying, I don't know, you've got to live with it, which is my least favorite thing ever you can actually go, okay, well, why don't we try these things that might be recommended, the guidelines for these symptoms? Let's see how you get on let's review. That's a very Mm. different conversation, isn't it? Yeah.
0: On both ends. Definitely. And I I feel very lucky with my medical team because they understand that for me, you know, it's really important that I can integrate. And they say to me, look, we can't condone the supplements that you want to take, but... If you want to take them and that's important to you, we respect that and we will keep an eye on your bloods and we'll be able to see if there's anything that we're concerned about. Again, it's that thing of like, do I need permission from them? I don't know. I feel like I do and I feel like just it's important that they know what I'm planning to do and I feel very lucky that they respect how I want to live my life. That's brilliant. I think that's what we aim for. And I
1: think ultimately, I think it's about instead of permission should be collaboration right because this is your life your symptoms your body and that body autonomy i think is super duper important and we kind of as medics uh, i would say infringe on it too much i think there's a lot of this very paternalistic very old-fashioned approach of going I tell you what to do. You go home and do what I told you. And if you don't do what I say, then you'll come back and i have a shout at you. So I really had one of my patients shout at because she wasn't taking a medication, but the medication was sending her to A&E with palpitations and heart arrhythmia. Instead of offering her a new approach, actually that person got you know really, really upset by that conversation. I was like, okay, well, let's just take it back a little bit. So we organized a referral to a cardio-oncology specialist for her, we went around the houses a little bit to try and make sure she gets the care that she needs. But I think we need to take the ego and that paternalistic approach out of cancer care, full stop. It's got no place in there, okay? Because as we know, when we're living with cancer, when we are going through treatment, it is you who's the most important. We should put the person in the room. And a patient is not a toy that a medical professional, somebody else, maybe a nutrition professional, somebody else would give hold of, right? You are the center. And Mm. you should remain at the center and your wishes and needs and preferences are actually part of what we call evidence-based medicine. So when people talk about evidence-based medicine, they forget that it's actually got three legs. It's not just the best available clinical evidence, but it's also about clinical experience. So what does a clinician know work for people? And the third bit is patient needs, values and preferences. And actually there are a number of conversations I see going on where that third leg doesn't even get a look in. And it is a part of evidence-based medicine. So if we are saying we're practicing that, we should absolutely pay attention to that.
0: Yeah. And I think I feel very lucky. I, again, advocate that people should feel empowered, that if they don't feel that there is a connection with their oncologist, then it's really important to think about that. Think about whether you need to change. You know, I have to say having a woman as an oncologist to me is like, it does make a huge difference. I think there's just a level of empathy there that, you know, especially with how treatment can affect menopause and hormones and things like that, which is actually what I'm going through at the moment. You know, I feel incredibly lucky and blessed, but I would say to people, if you don't gel with your team think again, because that's so important that you have a mutual respect and a trust and that you get on. You know, I look forward to seeing my oncologist. You know, I really look forward to spending time with her. That's such an important thing.
1: I think it's a connection. Like you said, trust, it's a mutual respect, right? You respect the amazing expertise that they have, but they also respect the fact that you need to live with whatever you need to live with. And therefore, there will be needs that might be addressed in a different way from what they can provide. And like I said, with the supplements, there's definitely a safety thing that that's the job that I do for my patients, right? I monitor them, I actually monitor them much more frequently, their medical team monitors them sometimes. So if we introduce something, it needs to be have an indication is what we call it in medicine. That means why is it being used? It has to have a clear reason for its use. And then we have to make sure we've interaction checked it. So mm-hmm all of your different medications that you might be on, all of maybe the different medical conditions that you might have, have to be checked against that supplement to say, is it going to interfere with any of this? And that's where, you know, oncologists understandably and very justifiably can get nervous about it. But that's where, again, an integrative doctor and a pharmacist and other people can get involved to make sure it's as safe as possible. So there needs to be an indication, there needs to be a safety check, which is really important. And there needs to be ongoing monitoring. Is it actually being effective? So if you're taking a supplement to maybe regulate your inflammation levels, then actually, are we seeing those inflammatory markers going down? If we're taking a supplement to maybe support your blood counts in a certain way, then are we seeing those improve? Because if we're not, then of course it's not being effective and we should be switching. So I think the problem sometimes with maybe not even integrative oncology, but just general stuff out there on the internet is there's these lists of supplements and lists of all sorts of weird and wonderful drugs that people can find because they're looking to help themselves. And then they try and take the shed load, the boatload of 10 different things. They don't know where they interact with each other. They don't know whether they interact with the current medication. And that is an ultimately unsafe practice. And none of this is really personalized to their cancer type. I once saw something that really horrified me, which was a patient came to us and I saw this plan. And on top of the plan, it said sarcoma 2022 or something. And I was like, you're not a sarcoma, I'm like, you don't even have your name on it. You don't have any information about you and your background of what's going on with you. That is not a plan. That is a sheet that's been printed out for multiple patients with no safety checks. So that should not happen. That is not integrative oncology. That is an unsafe practice of trying to do what we call green pharmacy, Trying to do this kind of replacing drugs with supplements, which may or may not work most of the time, but also these protocolized things. And I'm like, it is not about protocols. It goes against everything that's at the core of integrative oncology. It is not protocolized. It's whole person oriented. to dispersonalize. So, and I think people will get confused and understandably doctors will get confused and worried if they see something like this, you know, I would throw it out of my clinic and I'm an integrative doctor, let alone somebody who is very conventionally trained seeing something like this going, this is utterly unsafe. So I think we need to set some standards so that patients feel safe accessing integrative interventions and that doctors feel safe cross-referring asking questions, Mm -hmm. having debates, understanding the evidence understanding the guidelines you know we've had two major integrative oncology guidelines in the last you know year and a bit one on pain and one on anxiety and depression coming out with collaboration between conventional oncology and integrative oncology so we have all of these resources and tools and we should be relying on those and we should be making things safe and more aligned and more integrated so you don't have to come with an internal conflict going (laughs) i'm coming with the supplement i'm not really sure what's going to happen here totally this should be eliminated for the patients a source of stress that's not necessary it should be a professional to professional conversation and we should be really open and curious about things rather than just shutting people down
0: yeah i mean unfortunately as a patient experience you know like exactly like i just said i'm in this position now where I'm feeling these menopausal symptoms. I'm sort of desperate at the moment with like unbelievable hot flushes and exhaustion. And that could be a number of things. I'm doing exactly that. I'm looking for information. I'm trying to find out. I'm getting confused. I'm reading about Sage. I'm hearing about this. I'm, I know then I kind of my smart brain kicks in and goes, you know, don't fall for this stuff. Speak to your team. Make sure you get that support. Make sure you get that informed decision to help you. Decide which route to go, you know, but in the moment, it's very, very difficult because you could be in a very desperate situation, you know, desperately looking for help and desperately looking for answers and solutions. So I think, you know, I can understand how those quick ill-informed decisions can be made. But what's great is that you're out there there's these kind of platforms to help people get informed and to find those resources. And hopefully, wouldn't it be great if, you know, as soon as you go to your medical team and initially when you get your diagnosis, they always hand you loads of leaflets. There's always the Macmillan leaflets and this is, you know, there really should be a lot more information given straight up to people like me when they get their cancer diagnosis about all those options out there. And we're hoping that's what exactly why we created the OnCare app.
1: So, and we know people may not have the budget, and there's not a lot of integrative doctors in the UK anyway. So, we wanted to make integrative oncology information really accessible to people with a diagnosis of cancer. So, we've got the OnCare app now. So, it's spelled O-N-C-I-O, and you can find it on any app store. And within that, there are guided programs. There's a way of monitoring your symptoms and quality of life. There's also a way of connecting your wearables. So if you've got an Aura ring or a Fitbit, you can connect that up. And you can also look at different information about different modalities, like what is, I don't know, hypnotherapy, for example. Or what is health coaching so you can get a really good understanding and those articles are written by professionals who are practicing that quite a lot of them will be working in the nhs or have done research in that area so you know the information is coming from a reputable source we've got lovely recipes have been donated by
0: very many people including the doctor's kitchen you've got vicky fox on there doing yoga which is wonderful i've had her on the podcast as well
1: yeah the guided programs are just fab you know exactly like you say you've got We've got, you know, yoga, we've got prehabilitation, some movement, you know, mind body modalities that people can use. So, I think that would be a good first port of call for people to at least try first. And then, if you do go outside, uh, a little bit like you were saying, like I've read all sorts of things, I got so confused. If you're reading information from somebody, check out their credentials because quite a lot of people will say, I'm, I'm specialist X or I'm specialist Y, and I'm going, Okay, well. What is your degree? What is your scope of practice? What are your qualifications to be telling me about things? Because if you are somebody who calls themselves a health coach but is not really regulated or registered with an appropriate association, or you're saying you're a nutritionist, but I can't see your professional association, I can't find out about you properly. Probably shouldn't be not be listening to those people. But it's a lot of this kind of you know the typical influencer thing of going, okay, I'll just go and talk about it and then people will listen, and then people will take stuff on board, and we actually have no idea whether any of this is evidence-based.
0: Yeah, it's not. There's so much out there that's not controlled and not censored. It's quite scary, isn't it, at the time we're living in. I want to come on to the OnQ app, because I think that's a brilliant, brilliant resource that you've launched. It's quite new that you've launched that, isn't it, only in the last few months. But what I'm interested to know, again, just going back to more of the kind of patient experience side, like what are the most common reasons that people come to you
1: there's so many there's just so many of them I think the most important probably core groups of reasons is one is they want to take more control of what's happening to them because they know they can do something to help themselves and they just want to be able to say I want to contribute to my care I know my medical care team is doing fabulously but I want to contribute to my care I want to be fit enough to be go on the next drug, to go on a clinical trial or do whatever it is that needs to be done. So I think one is very much you know, wanting to have agency and contribution empowerment within the setting of their care. Second is quality of life and symptom control. And I think that becomes really important because people who on long-term treatment plans, quite often they will go through multiple drug changes and might be suffering with symptoms. There is no medical medication answer for, and actually they're looking for different ways of managing it. And I guess the third bit is also something that's very underserved is survivorship care. And that's because if you have a primary cancer, you get your primary treatment plan and that's it. You get chucked out at the end of it, maybe an annual follow-up, maybe what we call patient-directed follow-up where you have to call up to be seen. And that's it. And there's this massive assumption that what just happened to you is now absolutely fine just because you're cancer-free. And you go hold on a second this is a time when it really hits people it hits a lot of people who've been through the treatment and you kind of on fight or flight you kind of run through the treatment and you just get to the end and they go oh that's just happened to me and you might still have residual fatigue and other side effects from the treatment you might be on long-term medication for five or ten years if you're one of the hormone positive breast cancer survivors And you're not okay in any way, shape, or form, but you kind of get chucked out into the world and, and the family and friends and maybe the community assumes, oh, but you had your cancer treated. Cancer's uncomfortable. Everybody's just glad it's over. And they kind of expect to just get on with your life, you know, as if it's never happened, but that's just not true. So that bit is, I think, where we really are failing people as well, not only in the ongoing care when you have an active disease, but actually how can we expect somebody to just bounce back like that mm. after everything they've been through mm-hmm. and then a lot of us after we've been through treatment can have really significant risk of long-term side effects and long-term risk like cardiovascular disease doing the preventative care early actually saves the person so much grief and trouble and saves the nhs so much money rather than picking them up when they fall off the cliff five ten years earlier mm. Um, 15 years later I should say so doing it early intervention early proper survivorship care plan I think absolutely should be on our agenda as healthcare professionals but unfortunately it's just not being done at the moment
0: so they're the main three reasons. Interesting and I'm really interested as well to kind of get some case studies from you about I'd love to hear some examples basically how you've helped people and the impact that it's had. So I guess I'll split it into two things, I guess, primary cancer and more
1: advanced metastatic disease. So with primary cancer, my goal is to get some person through treatment with kind of minimal discomfort, minimal side effects, but then to also optimize them for the long term. And quite often I will say to people, I want you to feel better than you felt before you were diagnosed. And they kind of look at me funny and they go, Like That's my goal. I may or may not achieve it, but I'm certainly going to shoot for the stars here. And it's amazing the amount of people. And one of them said, when Dr. Nina said this to me, she was like, I had my doubts. But she says, now I'm flying. I feel better because I know how to take care of my body. I know how to take care of my mind. I have more resilience than I did before I had cancer because actually I know what to do. And I know I have my self-care plan. I know where to turn if things go wrong. And so that someone is then discharged, feeling really confident. My happiest day is discharging patients because at that point they have their maintenance plan. They know what to do with their health. They can fly. It's brilliant. It's the best feeling in the world. So that's, I guess, some examples. And primary cancers, you know, we look after a whole range. I look after a lot of breast and gynecological cancers. Now, for example, one of these ladies has finished primary treatment for an early ovarian cancer. Thankfully, hers was early. And again, she was kind of spat out at the end of treatment, being seen. we'll see you in six months. But this poor lady's had pre-diabetes. She had really high inflammatory markers. She was really struggling with fatigue and a number of other symptoms. And looking at her now, within one consultation, we've dropped her symptom load by over 30%. And I'm not even done with it yet. We've normalized all her inflammatory markers. They are now all completely normal. And we've got more ways to go. In another six months, I expect her to be fully optimized, feeling stronger than she was before her diagnosis. That's the aim. The aim we should shoot for the stars. In a way, the same aim we have with advanced cancer. And I get really annoyed when people who have you know, incurable disease or disease being managed on a long-term plan, being kind of put in this bucket of going, oh, well, they have an incurable cancer. And I'm like, ah, no. Cancer is a chronic disease now for most patients, barring the very, very advanced cancer diagnosis where we are really in a difficult situation. For most people, it's a chronic disease now. We should be treating it as any chronic disease, which means optimizing every single case up to the maximum. You know, I have patients, one of my patients came to me. She had metastatic colorectal cancer. And by the time she got to me, unfortunately... She had a prognosis of less than a year, and she was what we call pre-cachectic. So she was losing weight. She was going to the toilet every 90 minutes, but nobody was interested, unfortunately, in managing that. Because they are like, oh, well, she's got metastatic cancer. It's just, it is what it is. So she got told to move her daughter's wedding because she might not be able to make it. And there were not a lot of choices available. So what we did was first things first, I was like, okay, we are sorting out the root cause of this ongoing diarrhea. We found out a small intestine bacterial overgrowth. We treated it. Within four weeks, this patient was no longer going every 90 minutes. She was going once or twice a day. She could sleep finally instead of having to go up to the toilet. Most of her markers in terms of weight, she was starting to regain weight. She was starting to feel better. She actually... Managed way more, just under three years. So, over two years later on in life, she met, wow. had two grandchildren. She ha- saw her daughter get married. And outside of the last few weeks of life, she had excellent quality of life. She went to the gym with her grandchild and she did everything that she wanted to do. She traveled, she had an excellent quality of life. That's
0: what I'm aiming for. Okay. Love it. Love your determination. Love your mindset. It's a great, it's an attitude it's an absolute attitude because I hear you like sometimes I think you know or oh, I'm I'm suffering with this side effect and people are kind of like well yeah of course you are you know what I mean like you've got cancer like just be grateful that you can even get up in the morning and I'm like no I'm not an ill person like apart from the cancer I don't want to be an ill person you know what I mean and when I felt well I felt better than I felt in ages you know I have had those periods and I think you're right like why does it mean that you should then have to put up with so much
1: But anything, frankly, because you've already got the cancer and the treatment side of things. So why should we not be optimizing everything you possibly can have? Take aside the whole even I want to care for you properly thing, but purely from a mechanical level as a doctor, we're looking for something called performance status, which means kind of, are you fit and well enough to continue receiving treatment or go on a clinical trial? It's not there by magic. It is there by people doing things. It is there by people eating well, exercising, looking after their mind, looking after their mindset, like sleeping well. So it doesn't happen by magic. It needs support. Even if you weren't interested in doing whole person care and delivering the best for your patients, On a pure mechanistic level, you are interested in continuing to treat your patient. In which case, you should be optimizing them in all ways. And I do see massive shifts. I mean, we had another patient in clinic who, she came to us. She had metastatic breast cancer with bone metastases, and they were really struggling to keep her blood counts up on the treatment. She needed that treatment. That treatment was working, but it was only partially working because they couldn't give it to her often enough for it to have full effect. So. We then put her on an integrative medicine program. We also use something called mistletoe. And actually within a year, she had stable disease, completely stable disease. She was receiving every single cycle within three months of commencing a proper integrative medicine program. She was receiving every single cycle of treatment without having to drop anything. Wow. So that's the impact. The impact, that integrative of yeah. can make is actually
0: enable you to receive more medicine. That's important. That's huge. You've mentioned mistletoe and, you know, I've heard lots of these different types of vitamins and I'm not going to throw at you and say, what do you think of these supplements? Because I know you'll say it's personal. You can't just, you know, but what I do find interesting, there's so much out there about things like off-label drugs and, you know, infrared saunas and radical remission. And, you know, it's a big subject, so sorry, because I don't expect, but do you have an opinion on that stuff as well? Well, radical remissions, we know they're real, okay?
1: We know they exist. I have a major issue, though, with everybody aiming for radical remission, okay? So that's sometimes the problem is I have patients who come to me And they've kind of read all the things and they go, I'm aiming for a radical remission. I'm like, actually, you can live entirely well with a disease burden. Many of my patients do for years and years and years. And their cancer does not interfere with their life very much, actually. So aiming for NED, no evidence of disease, all these kind of massively radical remissions sometimes give people an unrealistic expectation of what they can get, really. Um, In fact, I have to dig one of my patients out of a really big hole because unfortunately she was kind of on the spectrum where she was refusing to have any oncology care she had a horrible experience with chemotherapy and by the time she came to see me I said to her once I was like you need to have chemotherapy you do there is other different ways of chemotherapy so we don't have to have the one that gave you a lot of side effects unfortunately she didn't go for that so when I saw her the next time her platelets which is the stuff that helps you blood clot were very low i mean they were 27 so if she bumped her head on a cupboard she could have a brain bleed and die that's how bad things were at that point i did the properly integrative oncology thing which is where we actually had her call up the master she had a second opinion there i was like no you are starting on a chemotherapy drug if you need a platelet transfusion we will do that we would organize it with local oncology because local oncology, before she didn't have enough experience in managing that particular person. So we organized the Marsden import. We got her on treatment. And then I did everything else to keep her on that treatment, keep her feeling well. She moved house in the middle of all of this. okay. And again, unfortunately, things slightly fell apart because she was not able to access a proper treatment later on. But she had another year. Instead of having weeks to live, she had another year of good quality life and really enjoyed all of it actually mm. so I think that's really really important to say we want to be able to not just go for radical remission and then have unrealistic expectations, do nothing and mm-hmm. land ourselves in a puddle really we want to stick in the middle I'm firmly most most people who know me say I'm in the middle person I always say it depends and I also say okay well let's look at the situation and figure it out so from my perspective if you're aiming for radical remission be realistic in the fact that it entails some massively big shifts in your life and you may or may not be able to get it I would say aim for control of disease. Aim If you've got advanced disease, what you should be aiming for is your cancer not affecting your life on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You should be able to
0: wake up and get on with your life. And feel well. I mean, I had the very interesting evening the other evening. I came home and I said to my husband, do you know what, tonight was the first night in a really long time where I didn't think about having cancer. Mm-hmm. Like we went around to friends, we got a takeout, we hung out and... That was just amazing, amazing. So, I think you're right. Like, you can have these unrealistic goals and you can get disappointed. Ultimately, it's about feeling well, isn't it? And learning to live your life, you know? If you aim for that, that's fine. But I think most of us,
1: and I would say with most of our patients, the reality of life is that if they want to continue having a flexible life and want to continue, being able to do a number of things in their life, they cannot focus on their cancer to that extent, actually. And quite often, it's also unhealthy to be focusing on your cancer to that extent. I think it is important to keep it in mind, support, keep yourself well, but your life should not revolve all 24-7 around your cancer. That's a not good space to be. I mean, other things, you know, whether we talking about off-label drugs or other therapies, I think mm. it very much depends on the individual do I use some of these things? Yes, I do. Do I use them very carefully and rationally rather than chucking the same protocol of people, which is a lot of people do or some clinics do? Absolutely. That's really, really important. So I think it's about saying, what kind of support do I need? What do I feel comfortable doing? You know, it may be that you're not ready to tackle your nutrition in your life right now, but you're absolutely ready to tackle your mindset or you're ready to move. Pick your goals find the right support it might be a magis center it might be the Onkyo app it might be god knows what but find the right professional with a reputable source with reputable registration and then get that support and then you'll see what else you need but i would say some people just dive into it and get so overwhelmed they kind of pull out of it going i'm going to do nothing and then i'm going to freeze and that's not good either so i'm like just pick achievable goals what is the most bothersome for you right now it might be menopausal symptoms right it might be the fact you've got terrible joint pain. Pick your goals, find the support and then move on to the next thing. I think stage wise approach is really, really important.
0: And that intuition, kind of what feels right for you. If you can't meditate because it feels like a hassle and a stre- you know, stressful to sit down for 20 minutes every day, don't do it. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the thing. It's not, as you always say, it's not one size fits all at all. And
1: actually, I think pushing, like you said, pushing against you intuition. Your intuition is there for a reason. I firmly believe that, our bodies and minds actually know a lot more about what we need. Yeah, you know, quite often it's interesting observing animals, isn't it? They know exactly what they need and they just follow it, right? If my dog's tummy is feeling funny, it'll go off and eat some grass and feel much better, right? We don't sit there and overthink it. We don't go, oh, do I really gonna question this? Mm-hmm. So I think have also a good radar for when people are talking rubbish. And if something lands on you and you go, I don't think that sounds right. Go and check it out because usually you're right that something is a little bit fishy about that particular statement or about that particular person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, with synthesis, synthesis is hard to say with a list. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I picked a really difficult name, didn't I? (laughs) Synthesis Clinic and the app. What's your goals? I mean, you've already achieved so much, but I assume, kind of knowing the little I know about you, you've got plans, bigger plans. Where do you want? To go.
1: Well domination. No, very, <laughs> very, very, no, very seriously. Much. For, for Onkeo App, very serious. That's where ideally I'd like us to go. I mean, it will require a lot of funding, which is always the biggest problem for community interest companies like OnKo CIC, because we always want it to be available free for people who need mm. it. That's a really important goal for us. I don't want it to be limited by how much you can pay and if it is 99p. To you and me, that might not mean very much to somebody in a developing country, that could mean quite a lot. So I think for me, I want an integrative oncology app or digital health device to be available all over the world in the language that you speak with people who are from your culture, from your country, who understand what you need and all your individual needs, which I think is really important.
0: So that's the long-term goal. So currently, just with the OnQ app, because I've got listeners from all over the world, so currently it is UK-based? or It currently is in English, so you will
1: find most resources are UK-based, but there are some international resources there. We are building it out slowly to kind of incorporate more US resources, Canada, Australia, and other English-speaking
0: countries. So we're focusing on that first. And with the fundraising side, again, you know, listeners might be interested in that side of things. How do people help with that?
1: So if you go on our website, onco.org, you'll be able to donate to, the, to our cause. You'll also be able to send us suggestions. So if you're using the app, we do have a suggestions and a support email. So if there's something that you think would be amazing, please email us. Please give us suggestions.
0: And they do respond, by the way. They do respond. Very responsive, I found.
1: They do respond. My lovely Emma, who is the Chief Doctor Nina Management Officer, covers also some of the support. So she's got many incredible. hats, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: so, yes, I think the OnCare app, that's my goal. My goal is worldwide coverage. Is it all going to be OnCare? Will it be a mixture of digital health tools? I don't care what it is, but I think we need to achieve that. That's really important. That kind of reputable, yeah, evidence informed advice and also guided programs for people who don't have the funds to access somebody one-to-one, you know, something that can be safely administered at home and empowers you at home. So that's one. And Synthesis Clinic, I mean, we're expanding. So we're always growing and adding more professionals to the team. My next target is insurance coverage. So I would like people who have private insurance to be able to have their treatment pathway covered. I'd also like it to start spreading into integrating with some of the private care. So there's a number of conversations that are ongoing. Because this is the model of care in the US, and it works really well. We know it works. And we know it can deliver really good outcomes, even improving survival. So we need to get that into first private care, then the NHS, because that's quite often the way that it works, unfortunately, Mm. is that we start innovating in the private care, and then it will trickle down. So that's the next step is really to try and mainstream integrative oncology more from the synthesis clinic end, and then go from there, really. And then BSIO is my other ambition, which is also kind of basically UK-wide domination for healthcare
0: professionals. So there we go. Big lofty goals. Brilliant. But I know you're going to achieve all of it because you've already achieved so much. And I think, like I said, it's an attitude. It's a mindset, really, that is obviously motivating you, you know, and seeing people getting better or feeling well, I should say, is obviously a huge part of what you find rewarding about what you do as well. Absolutely.
1: And I always say to people, like, it's so complicated. You know, it can take me hours to create a single plan because of so much safety checking and everything else that I do to make it ultra personalised. I didn't see it working. I wouldn't be doing it. I have far easier jobs that I could do for far more money, to be honest, and be absolutely fine. But I do it because I know the huge difference it can make to patients and families to see that. And I think that's what we need to aim for. If we aim for the stars, if we don't get there, That's okay. We can get 80% of the way there and still achieve so much better quality of life for our patients, Mm. so much better treatment tolerance, and so much better outlook for people. And people feeling like they're going into treatment in a completely different way. You know, in that very disempowering moment of diagnosis, if you get told to just go home and rest or go home, your scan is in two weeks' time. What kind of message does that send you? You're just sitting there worrying for two weeks. Why did not you actually think, okay, well, there are some things you can do to support yourself during that time. Why don't you try this rehabilitation program for two weeks? That's a completely different mindset. You always feel like you're actively contributing to your care. And I think I'd like that to permeate every way, because I think it's relevant, actually, to be honest, way beyond cancer to anything you do do you know any kind of healthcare arena we need to be active participants in
0: our health but we need to be given the tools and the support to do so absolutely and where better to start than with the Onkyo app and synthesis clinic it's been really fantastic speaking to you today i've been following you for a while and i've been wanting to speak to you for a while you've got a very busy schedule i think i booked this in your diary like a month ago or something so i really appreciate you finding the time to talk to me today thank you so much for coming on talking with cancer and thank you, Katie. You are amazing for what you do as well. I love all your conversations. They're fabulous. Love that chat. Love the work that she's doing. I think it's so important. So, yeah, I feel very lucky to have come across the Synthesis Clinic. And you can follow them on Instagram and Facebook. So they're on there as Synthesis Clinic. So, yeah, check them out. And I hope you enjoyed our chat today. Take care. See you next week.